Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are welcoming Matt Sangiovanni. He's a guitarist, a pit musician, a music producer, and he took this one guitar class in high school and decided that was it. This is what he was going to do with his career, and he wasn't going to let anyone or anything get in his way. And through lots of hard work and lots of kindness, he has done such amazing work. He has been in a ton of Broadway productions, and we are just so grateful that he is here talking to us tonight. So welcome. Welcome, Matt. So happy you're here tonight. It is such a treat to have you on the show. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to get to know you a little bit better because you've been pretty successful in terms of all the different tours and projects that you've been doing as a guitarist, uh, but also as a music producer and a pit musician. And so just wanted to get a little feel about how it all began and how you got inspired by picking up this instrument. Yeah. Uh, so I started playing in high school. Uh, it was part of like my, my high school offered these like elective classes. I think we called them specials or something, but it seems like, you know, wood shop and like economics and things like that. And one of them was guitar. Um, and so I had signed up for this guitar class I'd never played before. Um, and over the course of that year, I just kind of got really into it. And so I ended up taking that class every year while I was in high school. Um, and then when I graduated, as I was graduating high school, I applied to uh, Berkeley College of Music and I got in. So I went there right after high school and I was there for four years. It was the only school I applied to. Um, I think at some point during, I, want, I think my junior year of high school, my mom told me about this school where uh, some of my favorite guitarists of the time, uh, like John Petrucci, who's a guitarist of Dream Theater, or uh, Joe Cetriani and Steve Vai, who are solo guitarists, uh, the school that they went to, um, which was having these, like, it has these summer courses where you can go and kind of, you know, be at the school for a week or a few weeks. And they had a specifically a guitar course because guitar is one of their biggest instruments. And so I, I signed up for this summer course, which was a week in Boston at Berkeley, taking kind of like getting a taste for what Berkeley is like. And during my week there, I just, I fell in love with the the city and the school and the environment. And I just, it just, it was very clear to me at that moment, like this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. And so I didn't apply anywhere else. Um, and it's, it's an audition school. So you have to, you sign up for an audition and they make you, you have to bring a prepared piece. You have to sight read some things. You have to do all kinds of stuff in the room with them. And then they do a little interview with you to kind of get a feel for what you're looking for. And um, yeah, so I did all that. I had my audition and my interview. And then about a month later, I, I was accepted. Amazing. Um, Are you from Boston? I'm from New Jersey. New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey for most of my life. Um, I had never been to Boston and I had never heard of Berkeley before. My mom brought it to me and I went and did that course. And yeah, I get in, I mean, in hindsight, 
I mean, even honestly, at the time, even it was kind of foolish to not, you know, apply to any other schools or really look into anything else. But I think I just kind of had a one track mind of what I wanted and I didn't want to compromise. Right. And but you also have this really strong sense of discipline where you're just always working. You're trying to master your craft even when you are in high school. Is that right? Yeah, it was definitely a um, after after I kind of realized this is I wouldn't even say I realized that it was what I wanted to do yet, but there just came a point where it was kind of the only thing I really enjoyed doing. So I just spent as much of my time doing it as possible. And then when I decided that I really wanted to like, you know, I wanted to go to school for it, then it became like, okay, well, I'm going to practice, you know, a few hours a day, every single day and like really, you know, dig into it. And it it became one of those situations of like, okay, I have an opportunity because I feel like there's not a lot of situations in life where you're given like a deadline opportunity of like, I have this many weeks or months or whatever. And then on this day, I need to do something and that's going to decide basically my fate for however many years or months or whatever. So when those situations come around, I I really try and like dig in hard and um, make sure I don't waste it and I'm as prepared as I possibly can be. Did you get that kind of mentoring when you were growing up or did it kind of evolve when you were taking these music lessons in high school? You know, I think that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. I don't, I wouldn't say I was raised in that way in particular. Um, I think for most of my life, I didn't even really need to try particularly hard because uh, school always came pretty easy to me. Um, So it was never a lot of work for me. So I think when I reached Because I think I had this moment in high school where I started feeling like, okay, like, why am I, like, what do I want to be doing? What is going on here? All this stuff is, like, really easy for me, but I'm not, like, I'm not very passionate about it. And so when I find, when I found these things that I was actually interested in doing and passionate about doing, I think I just got really excited about kind of putting my all into it because I'd never really done that with anything before. Just found something that you became very much passionate about and, and in love with. And yeah, yeah. so that, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, when you're excited about doing something, you just want to work even harder at it versus a lot of other people, they just live life and they're robotic and they just, you know, go with the routine and say, we, we need to pay the bills or we need to do this, but they don't really go after what they really are passionate about. So that's, that's nice. That's really good. Really yeah. Good. I definitely never, I, I've definitely had that mentality probably most of my life, I think I spent a lot of time watching TV and movies and like kind of immersing myself in stories and like just the romanticism of, you know, getting what you want out of life. And I've I've always really taken that to heart and I've really tried not, again, not to compromise or settle for less than what I really want. For me, it's different for everybody, but for me personally, like I was never as concerned about the security of a paycheck or a steady job or things like that. I was much more concerned about how I'm spending my time and whether I'm enjoying myself and living a a fulfilling life, especially while I'm younger, because I know it's only going to get harder the older that I get. Super mature. (laughs) A lot of people don't (laughs) figure that out until they're 
45, 50, you know, whatever. So yeah. good for you. Um, and then they're like, wait, I forgot to do all these things for the past 30 years. Uh, yeah, that's scary. scary. That's so scary yeah. to me. Um, and I just, I, yeah, it just, that terrifies me more than anything. That's a really good outlook and a great way to start yeah. your career. Yeah. So after you graduated college, did you get a lot of networking opportunities, gigs, and maybe it was a stepping stone to the next part of your career path? Yeah. So right after I graduated, I I had made the decision during or like, I guess, found my path during my last year at Berkeley that I really wanted to do musical theater um, because it just felt like a really good fit for me because um, I'm a player as a musician, as a, a performer. I'm not re I'm not a songwriter. I don't really write songs. Um, I don't really particularly feel that I have something to say which a lot of artists very much do but for me it was always just about the joy of playing and making music and when I kind of started getting into musical theater I it just felt like a really cool thing of like oh I can play other people's music I get to play all these different styles I get to just you know have lots of fun and it's kind of in a way less pressure because it's not really about you at all. It's about, you know, the whole of the production and I'm kind of, you know, a quiet, um, somewhat antisocial person. So I don't really feel the need to be in the spotlight most of the time and musical playing in pit orchestras for musicals just felt like the perfect journey for me. And so I started getting really into that at my last year at Berkeley. And so when I graduated, I graduated with the mentality of, okay, I want to be in musicals. I want to play on Broadway. And I stayed in Boston for a year after I graduated, just kind of like getting my feet wet, playing as many shows as I possibly could all around uh, Massachusetts and in that area. Um, More like community, community theater shows. Yeah, like community theater, regional theater, high schools, middle schools. Kind of, I mean, this kind of stuff that you'd play basically anywhere. Um, uh, like even in New York, it's just, you know, you have Broadway and you have touring and things like that. And then that's like 5% of what's going on in musical theater. And like in the whole rest of the country is, you know, regional theaters and community theaters and high schools and middle schools and elementary schools and just... So there's just so much opportunity for that at the less professional level to just kind of play shows and get to get, just get a feel for what that's like. For those kinds of opportunities, were they giving you the the score? Were they giving you the, you know, everything that you needed to know beforehand or was it kind of a last minute? No, you usually get it um, a few weeks or a few months. It depends on the production. Okay. Uh, funnily enough, I have found that like the more professional production is, the less time you tend to have for right. <laughs> preparing for it. Um, just because things can be moving so quickly or changing so often. Or it's like if you're dealing with a new musical, it's like they're literally writing the parts until your first rehearsal. But if you're playing like an old show that's been around forever, then, you know, you get the music whenever they get the books from the licensing company. So you'll usually have at least a month or so to prepare unless the um, 
the music director or whoever is in charge if the music is just kind of dragging their feet with it. But there's usually a good amount of time. And then after you did this for a year where you were just practicing a lot, getting a lot of different jobs and getting out there, what made you move and where did you go to next? Yeah, so I was kind of, I kind of was reaching this, um, this wall, I guess I could call it, in Boston where I was realizing I'm playing a lot of, you know, I'm playing a lot, but I'm not doing anything that's particularly um, professional or like prestigious or like that pays really well. I'm not doing any union work, which is kind of like the be all end all of making a career. And I realized that I was kind of in direct competition with my professors from Berkeley um, because they were the people who were getting the calls to play at like the Boston Opera House when a show was coming through or things like that. And I, you know, I had a talk with someone and and we just kind of came to realize it's like, okay, I want to play on Broadway is being in Boston going any longer going to help me play on Broadway? And it just kind of seemed like, no, I think I had exhausted, like I could stay here and keep doing what I'm doing and probably make a living at least somewhat. But if I want to like actually do the thing, then this isn't really the place for me to be anymore. I need to be in the city, meeting the people in the city because doing gigs in Boston isn't really going to, it's it's not really part of the journey to playing on Broadway anymore. It's like it was really great for like cutting my teeth and like learning how shows work and like just getting a lot of practice and experience. But as far as like networking and stepping stones, there really weren't any left for me, I felt. Um so it was I decided to move. Yeah, and you were building a foundation and you were you know, getting all the training that you needed to get you uh to launch you to the next phase. Yeah. And so then what happened next? Yeah. So then I, after about a year of doing that in Boston, I decided it was time to move down to New York. And I, I was fortunate because I had found someone had posted on a Facebook group or something that they needed a guitarist for uh, a show they were doing in the the New York fringe festival, uh, RIP. But, um, so I had actually managed to book this. It wasn't anything huge or that paid particularly well, but it was, you know, an opportunity to play a show in the city and to work with other musicians in the city. And so I did this show. Basically, I did half the run while I was in Boston, and then I moved to New York and finished it while living in New York. Amazing. And so, yeah, so I had managed to get a little gig and then through that gig I was able to start meeting other people and doing other little gigs and um, I still had a day job I worked at um, I worked at CVS for the for about a year while I was living in New York um, which is a job I had transferred from Boston where I was also working and yeah so I just kind of started playing the field getting to know people I started uh, sitting in orchestra pits on Broadway to try and meet the players and, you know, get a feel for what it's like in these like really professional productions and see what kind of people are playing those shows and like, you know, just try and get to know them. And 
see what else they do and just make friends. And How did you get invited to sit in the pit? Uh, I did not get invited. <laughs> I, um, okay. I, I emailed them. I kind of cold called nice. them because so through when you join the musicians union, the AFM, um, you get access to their database of every musician that's in the union. Mm. And to play on Broadway, you have to be in the union. It's a union job. And so every musician on Broadway is in the union, which means that you can go on the union website if you're a union member and look them up and find their emails. So I would search on like playbill.com or IBDB, the internet Broadway database, Mm -hmm. and see who was playing the shows. And then I would find their information and I would email them and say, hey, you know, I'm new to the city. I'm a guitarist. I'd love to come see you do what you do. And most of the time they were really cool about it and they would invite me in and I'd go and hang out with them, watch them do their thing and uh, just kind of meet people and get a feel for, you know, what's going on in the scene. Amazing. That is really helpful to be kind in this industry because it, it just, it just motivates you that much more. And, you know, cause it's such a tough industry to break into, but when you have kind people like that who are like, yeah, sure. Come hang out with us, you know, get to know us. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. That's an, you know, incredible invitation to. It's huge. Yeah. It's so wonderful. And I, some of some, so many of them, especially the guitarists on Broadway are just such warm, loving and wonderful people. They've just been so kind and so sweet and it's been just great getting to know them and see them. And it's really cool when people who are just like at the top of their game and so great at what they do are also just really, really cool people. And yeah, it's encouraging. So like what happened next? So yeah, so I was sitting in with a few people and just like getting and playing around. And then um, I had emailed the guitarist for Aladdin um, just to ask to sit in. And it was kind of a funny situation of where like we were kind of like um, playing email uh, tag a little bit because he was uh, out of town sometimes or he's like on vacation or so. So like we were emailing back and forth for a month or so, but we just hadn't been able to coordinate a time for me to come sit in and watch the show. Um, but then one day he responded to me and he was like, actually, I need a sub. So wow. if you want to come watch the show tonight, like bring a recording device and like, let's let's make this happen. Wow. Um, just completely out of the blue. He hadn't met me yet. He'd never heard me play. <laughs> um, but he just, I, I just out of the goodness of his heart, I just, just on a whim, just decided, hey, I'm going to give this kid a chance to play my show on Broadway. Amazing which was incredible and I owe everything to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I did that and I went and sat in and then about a month later I I subbed for my first show on Broadway for Aladdin. How hard was that score? Actually, not very hard, luckily. Okay. It was a very um it was a very good show to be my first okay. one. Um because subbing can be a very 
challenging um, situation. How so? And because basically your responsibility is to you're you're basically you're stepping into the shoes of the player and your goal is for nobody else to really notice that you're there (laughs) or that the other player is gone so you need to be able to execute the show exactly the same way that they do so that nobody else is thrown off and that can be really challenging pressure it can be a lot of pressure, and it's especially a lot of pressure if it's a show where um, your instrument is particularly important or particularly difficult. And fortunately for me, for Aladdin, um, the guitar, the guitar part in that book is mainly kind of a support role, and there's not a lot of big solo moments. Um, there's like one or two little moments and there's like things where you need to lock in with other players, but there aren't a lot of opportunities for you to kind of derail the show. And some shows, there are tons of opportunities for you to derail it. So it was, it was, it was still a lot of pressure and I was very nervous and it was, you know, challenging and scary, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think there was as much that could have gone wrong as there would have been with some other shows. And so it was really great for that to be kind of my starting point. Um, Yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) Did you sub the show a few times? Yeah. So I subbed um, after I had my first show and got the, like the okay from the music. So, cause it's like usually get one or two shows. Um, I mean, usually you can tell from like, you know, if you do a great job on your first show, then, you know, the music director will let them, the player know and that you're good to go. And it's like the first show is always kind of a trial run. Okay, let's let's see how it goes. And if you do really great, then it's like, okay, now you can sub whenever you whenever they want you to. Um, If it goes not so great, then you might get one more chance to do that. And then if you nail it on the second one, then you can keep moving forward. But if you mess it up again, then it might just be a situation of like, you're not right for the show. Um, Maybe you didn't prepare enough, whatever it was. If you screw up two shows in a row on your first go, then you're probably just not going to get called back. Um, So I, I did well the first show. And yeah, he had me playing back like the next day and like a few days after that. And then I was playing there pretty regularly. Um, I would say at least once a week, sometimes more um, for, yeah, for a good while. So that's kind of like an audition process. It kind of is. Yeah. It's like, it's like a really scary kind of audition because it's a, a live audition during right. a show. Like you don't get any rehearsal or, you know, you're not sitting behind a panel. It's like you're, you're just, you have to just do it, and hope it goes well. So that's an that's another part of it that's really stressful. It's like you don't get any rehearsal. You don't get any, um, you don't really get any. Um, you don't get any rehearsal, and that can be really challenging. Yeah, and and it seems like you do really well under pressure just because you're so disciplined in your approach in terms of how you were learning the instrument. 
Uh, I think I do pretty well. I think for me, I've always been of the mind that like the best way to handle pressure or uh, stage fright or anxiety or fear like that is to just be like like you said over prepared and if you're really disciplined and if you if you learn the music so well that you can't that you kind of can't mess it up right or if you do mess it up you're able to like really do it i um i knew <laughs> i know someone who said that they used to love to they would do like a bunch of push-ups before practicing like an audition piece so that they kind of got used to playing while being sweaty and out of breath. Right. Um, Cause that's what happens when you get nervous or like anxious or scared. It's like you start to sweat and like <laughs> your fingers get slippery and you're like, you can't breathe. So it's like he would practice playing like that. So when it happened, he would already be prepared to handle it. Yeah. I've never done that. But <laughs> I just try to over-prepare as much yeah, as I can. Yeah, that's great, because then you always know what to do next. Um, and can you improvise really well with the with the guitar? You know, I, I don't personally think I can improvise as well as some people, or as a lot of people. It's not really a thing I that I focus on. Um, I don't really consider myself much of a jazz player. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was always a kind of thing I've, you know, I do and I do as I need to, but I, I wouldn't say I'm the most comfortable with it. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not classically trained, but I am classical in the way that I kind of prefer to read music off the page and like interpret it rather than just, you know, do whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, I wouldn't, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm bad at it. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> I, <laughs> so then what happened after that? So you, you did it for a little bit and then what was your next? Yeah, so I subbed. I started subbing on Aladdin, and then about a month later, through another you know fortuitous event, I was seeing like one of the other shows I had sat in was Wicked, mm-hmm. and the uh, the guitarist I sat in for was he's a, a jazz guitarist around the city, and he you know he plays original music out all the time. And I went to see one of his shows of his original music just to see him, you know, just to see him play. And after that show, he came up to me and he said that he actually was in need of a a sub, a new sub over at Wicked. And so (laughs) I. You're literally jumping up and down. like just Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty, pretty ecstatic. Um, Cause that is, you know, that is an iconic show and it's amazing. And the music is so good. Music is so and that was going to be my second Broadway show. And yeah, so I started learning that book and about a month later I played my first show at Wicked, um, which was incredible. And that, that's a show kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum to Aladdin where it's very complicated, very difficult, a lot of intricate parts, um, a lot more pressure still not a ton because it's pretty orchestral but um a much more challenging show uh well so that was kind of scary in that way of like being able to execute it and but yeah i did my first show there and it went well and you know they invited me back and that was great and then a few months after that 
I had been emailing with the uh, the banjo player for Chicago on Broadway. And again, he just, you know, he said he needed a sub. <laughs> and he hadn't really ever met me, but, you know, we were chatting and I, I told him I have played Chicago before for like high schools and stuff because that is one of those shows on Broadway that you can play anywhere because it is licensable. Right. So I had already played it. Um, and he, yeah, so he invited me in and I ended up playing my my first show at Chicago like a month or so after wow. that. And that went, that went well <laughs> and I kept doing more and yeah, I played I played there a lot and yeah. <laughs> and what what's it like to collaborate with all of these different pit musicians? Cause you know, as you're subbing, you're not the actual musician that they're used to collaborating with. So like you said, you really yeah. have to be, you know, on measure and sound exactly like the, the musician. Yeah. It's really cool. I think it's a lot of fun and it's, you know, it's it's really interesting to jump from like, you know, a show like Chicago where it doesn't even have guitar. It's uh it's a banjo, mandolin, ukulele book. Right. And so it's just a completely different style and it's like those players are just some of the best players in the city. I mean, all of the shows, but those ones in particular for that style of like ragtime and like old school jazz is just so cool to play with um and it's like being in that show it's just so alive because the whole band is on stage and like you're all around each other and looking at each other and it's the most like acoustic show i think um to be a part of and then you have these other shows like wicked where it's like you know another juggernaut show but in a completely different style and you know it's like some of the players like the bassist was i think al green's bassist and you run into all kinds of players like so many broadway players are like you know they're the bassist for james taylor or the guitarist wow. for carol king wow. or just all these so incredibly accomplished and amazing musicians and it's just so cool to be able to play with them and absorb their you know their aura of what they do and it just makes you such a better player and it's just so much fun Who's your favorite musician? I mean, who's your the one that you really look up to? Oh man, I, I couldn't even say honestly. <laughs> so I, many. I feel like I think part of the reason I like really got into musical theater is because I have a really wide um, breadth of like music that I love to listen to and enjoy. Like I love, I love all styles kind of equally, and. So I feel like I just have all these different influences from so many different places. I mean, like I, I adore the Beatles <laughs> and or Stevie Wonder. Or I love Radiohead. I love, um, you know, Sarah Bareilles. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. So you have like a um, wide range, of course. I mean, that. Why? Well, yeah. And like have. when I was younger, I was really into like solo guitarists like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani and. You know, I had like a metal phase where I was really into like Dream Theater <laughs> and Slipknot and like Avenged Sevenfold and things like that. Or, yeah. um, you know, uh, Snarky Puppy is kind of like a huge band at Berkeley. And um, yeah, there's just so much. I like I 
I, I genuinely love just all kinds of music so much. Lately, I've really gotten into like pop and hip hop. Nice. Like I love Ariana Grande. I love yeah. uh, Chance the Rapper. And um, I was always a huge fan of Eminem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's great. just like yeah. I'm, I really just love I just love music and I love it's so, so hard for me to just like pinpoint like, oh, this is the guy that, you know, made me want to do this or like inspires my every move. I just, I really don't feel like I have that. I just love so many different things. And so the biggest question is, so how did you land on Dear Evan Hansen? So Dear Evan Hansen was kind of like a long string of, um, of weird networking coincidences (laughs) where, um, when I, so when I was at Berkeley, there wasn't much of a musical theater scene or there was there really wasn't anything very much musical theater going on uh my first semester at berkeley they did their very first musical that they had done in i don't know how many years but they did a production of rent in like one of their small spaces and it went really well so it kind of started they started realizing, okay, maybe there's something here that we can actually use for our students. So they started making like musical theater ensembles and putting on a musical every year. And so after I, after I graduated, like a year, I think actually the year after I graduated, they started initiating this Berkeley on Broadway, um, like field trip, basically, okay. where people who were interested in that kind of thing could sign up and they would take a trip down to New York and see some Broadway shows and they would meet uh, Broadway musicians who were Berkeley alumni, uh, of which there are many. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it was just a really cool networking opportunity for them to meet people and see what it's like and hear from, you know, fellow former students. And so I... I still knew a bunch of people at Berkeley, so I knew that this was happening. And so after I had started playing subbing on Broadway, I, I reached out to them and was like, hey, I am a Berkeley alumni. I've played on Broadway. If you want or need any extra people to come and like, you know, for the Q&A to the students or whatever, I'd love to do it. Um, and I did. And they they hit me back and I they said they, they'd love to have me. And so I went and did that and which was really cool i love doing q and a's that's great um, i think it's a really yeah i think it's a really cool thing especially just like as a musician i don't think there is a lot especially in this like broadway world i don't think there's a lot of resources out there for people who are interested in being like orchestra pit musicians like when you look about when you hear about Broadway or like you're learning about Broadway or like how to get to Broadway, it's all about the actors and like auditioning and equity and all those things. And so I, I like to try and be a part, like be a voice for the musician side of things whenever I can. Um, So I went and did that. And one of the other people on the panel was the, at the time he was the music director for Book of Mormon. Um, and he was also a Berkeley alumni, obviously. <laughs> and so, so after that panel, he 
he had emailed me and was like, hey, you know, just from what you were saying at the the Q&A thing, I, I'd love to work with you. Like I'm doing this kind of like workshop reading thing of a show and I'd love to have you come play for it, which was incredible, super awesome. Well, and I went, I went and did that and it was a ton of fun, super cool experience. And I met this keyboardist on the, on that same gig. Her name is Natalie, uh, Natalie Tenenbaum. Mm -hmm. Incredible, incredible piano player. One of the best I've ever met, probably one of the best in the city or the country. I don't even know. She's so good. <laughs> um, and she's since had a few Broadway chairs. She played on Mean Girls and, um, I think West, um, maybe West Side Story. I'm not, I might be confusing her with someone else, but she's worked on a lot of really cool right. things. Um, and so after that, we spent like a week together working on this workshop thing. She messaged me and was like, Hey, um, are you interested in touring at all? Because I'm really good friends with the contractor for, this touring company and i know they're like they've got some tours coming out so if you want to like hit them up and tell tell them i sent you um that would be totally cool amazing yeah so i was like okay <laughs> and <laughs> sure twist so i arm. emailed this person and um they had a bunch of shows going out um at the time it was like color purple school of rock which i really wanted um because mm. i love I mean, I I I, con I definitely consider myself a rock guitarist before anything right. else. Um, and I saw the show on Broadway. I thought it was amazing. I love Andrew Lloyd Webber. I just that w I was really gunning for that yeah. one. But um, so it was like Color Purple, School of Rock, uh, and Kinky Boots. And so I just I was talking to this person, the the contractor, for a while, and I think it was honestly like probably like nine or ten months. Okay. <laughs> that we were kind of emailing and I was like, Hey, like, so like, is this show going out? Like, do you still need people? What's going on with this one? And like, eventually got to the point where she was like, okay, uh, I have the tour for kinky boots going out. Do you want to do it? Wow. And yeah. And I really wasn't familiar with the show at all, but it was just such an incredible opportunity to like, for me more than anything, it was the opportunity to see, um, how I handle doing eight shows a week, right? which is the Broadway schedule. And, you know, it's kind of a grueling, it's a really challenging thing. It's like, okay, I've never actually had to do that until that point. And I was really wondering, like, can I, <laughs> like, what will happen if I try to do that? Um, but so I, I took the gig and was, I, I had never heard the show before and it was so wonderful yeah. <laughs> so much fun and to hear it and feel the music in a very different way than the actors and the mm -hmm. producers are going through it you're you're actually that show is so great i had so much fun on that show i would whenever we were in like a pit that was kind of deep i would stand for the entire performance right. <laughs> like i would just i just had so much fun down there it was just such a good time um and so we were on that tour i was on that tour for close to a year um kind of like we had like a stop and start because we so we did like eight months 
I think, eight or nine months. And then we had a few weeks off. So it was like eight or nine months in the U.S. and parts of Canada. And then we had about a month off. And then it went to China for... uh, It was in China for two and a half months and Singapore for two months. Okay. While I was on that tour, um, me and some of the other musicians were talking about uh, Dear Evan Hansen. And it occurred to all of us kind of at the same time, like, hey... That show's probably going to be going on tour soon. And it's kind of a really big show. It's, yeah, it's... It would be a first national tour. Um, Kinky Boots was a non-equity tour. It was the... I guess it was the second national or... I don't, I don't know what I the, think it was the first national exact number first national would be. Tour is what I think I saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was non-equity, um, which meant it wasn't union and it didn't pay as well um or contribute to like health insurance and stuff so much but so we were talking about like okay dear evan hansen's going out and the music director for dear evan hansen was originally or previously one of the keyboardists on wicked for like 10 years and so i already knew him so I reached out to him and was just like, hey, like, I'm on tour right now, but I, I'm i guessing that Dear Evan Hansen is going to be going on tour soon. And I'd love to kind of throw my name in the hat uh, if, if that's possible. And he responded. He's one of the kindest, sweetest humans on the planet. Um, I think you've met him. Uh, ben Cohn. Yes. Yeah, he's. He's amazing. We met him at a Starbucks near Juilliard. So great. Um, Just, yeah, just a wonderful human. And an incredible musician, too. Yeah. (laughs) So he hit me back and he's like, I'll put you in touch with Alex Lacamoire, who is the the orchestrator of Dear Van Hansen um, and a Berkeley alumni. And so I, you know, was chatting with him. It's like, okay, like, we'll have you audition. And so they sent. Yeah. You're like, yes, <laughs> Literally, yeah. of course. It was a very stressful <laughs> few months, <laughs> but very exciting. Um, but this yeah. became another one of those situations where it's like, okay, I have this opportunity coming up and it's all on me to like prepare as much as I can and do what I need to do. So I reached out to, um, the Broadway guitarists, because I had met them previously. Dear Evan Hansen was one of the shows I had sat in at some point. And I asked, I told them like, hey, I'm going to try and audition for this show. Can you like, would you be willing to send me the music so that I can study it a bit? Um, And they did, which was incredible and super helpful. Um, So there's two guitars for that show and I didn't know what they were auditioning for. So I just spent every day on tour with kinky boots studying these two guitar books waiting for someone to send me the audition materials and amazing it was a few weeks or a month or so later that they sent it to me and i had already spent about a month or so practicing them um which was in amazing because i had to record 
six different, well, I had to record 12 parts. I had to record six for each guitar book because they didn't know what they were. They were just, you know, it was just kind of a call, an open call. Like, let's see what you're good at, if anything. <laughs> so, right, right. So it was a really insane situation where I was kind of, we were on tour with Kinky Boots and it was a particularly challenging week. Um, they didn't really give us a deadline for when to get the, the videos in. So I just kind of made the deadline in my head of like, okay, I don't want to take longer than like a week to get this done for them. Um, just, you know, God forbid they find someone else in eight days. But um, so I wanted to get it done as quickly as possible. But that week that we were on Kinky Boots was a really grueling five city week where we were doing one nighters in or like two nighters in like five different cities. So we were traveling every single day. Um, so I would literally like, we would get into the new city and I would immediately go to the theater, like, you know, six hours before the show and just like try and record these videos. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of work. It was a really crazy time because Dear Evan Hansen, I would say compared to all the other shows I play is the farthest end of the spectrum in terms of challenging guitar parts that are also really important to the show. Um, so it's a very scary situation because all of the parts are challenging and they're also important. And so you really need to get them right. So I was just sitting in these rehearsal, in these green, in these rehearsal rooms uh, or these um, dressing rooms recording these videos just like hour after hour trying to make sure they were as perfect as they possibly could be for this audition eventually i finished and i sent them over wow so much work and did you keep practicing i kept practicing the books a little bit because i wasn't sure like okay what's is this it like is there going to be more so i just kind of kept them tried to keep them fresh in my head to make sure in case they asked for more um and then a few like a, a few weeks or a month or so later, I got an email from the contractor and it's like, okay, Alex Lockamore wants to do like a a Skype pre-Zoom days, Skype interview audition thing where he can just kind of talk to you and like get to know you a little bit and also play for you or you can play for him. And in that moment, you're not really breathing normally and you're just like... Uh, let me just check my schedule. Yeah. So then I had a live audition interview thing with not unlike my audition for Berkeley. Now that I think about it, it was kind of the same exact thing um, with Alex Lackamore and Ben Cohn. And, you know, he was just kind of trying to get to know me a little bit, asking me about my background and like, you know, just the things I've done in that and stuff like that. And then he had me play some songs for him. And he was kind of giving me notes on the spot to, I think, see how quickly or how well I could adjust to the notes that he was right, giving me. Right. Um, and I felt like it went well. And uh, again, a few weeks or a month or so later, uh, I got a call from the contractor and he was offering me the Guitar One book for the tour. Oh my goodness, Guitar One. <laughs> You're like, okay, sure, I'll take it. 
<laughs> you literally jumping up and down. And all your hard work was paying off. I mean, how amazing is that? I was freaking out. I was on a train on my way home from my family's house in New Jersey from, it was literally, I think it was Memorial Day. It was like Memorial Day weekend. I was on my way home back to the city when he called. Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, I was with my girlfriend at the time and I was just like squeezing her leg. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> and she's like, calm down. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. I booked the tour and um, it was it was kind of this funny little situation where I had booked, I had gotten hired for this tour, I agreed to do it, but I was also about to go to China with Kinky Boots. It was right in between that off period. And so I was only going to be in the city for a couple of weeks. Um, and I wanted to get as prepared as I could because I had um, I had talked to the the contractor for Kinky Boots and told them, hey, I I got this gig. I I'm going to take it. Um, <laughs> but, like, you guys have no choice in this matter. I am going to take it. I'll do whatever you want me to do, like whatever is going to be easiest for you, because right. there is some overlap with this uh, China Singapore uh, thing. Yeah. So if you want me to just bow out completely, I can do that. If you want me to just go for a little bit while you find someone else, I can do that. Like whatever you want, like I will fully accommodate you. And she said it would that it would be best easiest for them if I went and did, you know, like two months of the China thing. And then they use that time to find a replacement and bring them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was only going to be in town for a couple of weeks and I was going to go straight from China basically to Dear Evan Hansen. And so I wanted to take as much time while I was in the city to prepare as possible. Um, so I, you know, I went back to the Broadway show and like sat in again and was like, I'm going to be doing the tour. And they decided to actually let me sub a few shows to get my feet wet with it and get some experience playing the show before the tour happens. So I got to sub on the Broadway production a few times before leaving to go to China. Wow. <laughs> and then I left China early. I, I gave myself like a week or so to kind of pull my life back together and like... Right. Jet lag. Get, and- <laughs> yeah. Get ready to swap from one tour to the next. And then I was out on Dear Evan Hansen. And I was with it for about, I think, a little over a year and a half, right up until the pandemic happened. When you found out about the pandemic yeah. happening, how did, where were you? What, what was that all about? Because I, we had different artists who were like, it's not really happening. Like, we'll be fine. We'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what the, the vibe was. Um, we were in Salt Lake City, which was kind of scary because that was kind of a hub at the point and you know we were hearing all these these rumors there was one person in our cast who was like this is serious there's this thing happening in china like what's going on and everyone else was just like okay <laughs> like whatever man <laughs> and we had we had just flown 
um, through Seattle or yeah, I think Seattle airport, uh, which at the time was like the biggest hub <laughs> that there was. Yeah. So it was this weird thing. It was like that week that we were, we were in Salt Lake city. It was just kind of like, you know, it was starting to get traction and the company didn't really know what to do about it. They were like, okay, we still have shows like just continue as normal. And up until that day of, I, I want to say it was the 13th. It was either the 13th or the 15th of March. Like we didn't know if we were going to have a show that night. And we were all just kind of watching our phones. Like, is this, I feel because if at that point it was like, this is very serious. Like what's going on. And then we all saw like on the news that Broadway was shutting its doors, which was a thing that has literally never happened in the entire history of Broadway. Um, so it was at that point before our company even told us. So we were like, okay, well, I don't think we have a show tonight, <laughs> but then they called everyone in for a meeting. It was like, this is happening. We're going to shut down. We're going to send you guys home for, you know, two weeks or whatever. And then we're going to jump right back. So we all had the expectation that it would only be for about two weeks. And that clearly was not the case. <laughs> a year and a half later. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, you know, I had left basically all of my equipment behind because I didn't want to try and fly around with like I could I had four guitars out there with me and like pedals and things like that. I didn't want to try and figure that out or like ship them. It's like nobody it was like it's two weeks, we'll be back, whatever. And then so I ended up not seeing that equipment again for like three or four months which was really challenging because it got to the point where i kind of needed it to like make money but yeah so it was it was kind of crazy and we we definitely nobody thought it was going to be as bad as it was and then it was so much worse what did you do during the pandemic did you find a different creative outlet was it a time for you to recalibrate your career figure out what's working for me what's what's not working for me yeah it was it was definitely a really good time for um kind of looking inward and thinking about what makes me happy what what do i enjoy doing what's fulfilling for me um i was in my partner and i we were in florida with her family for I think a little over a month at the start of the pandemic before it kind of got to the point where we were looking at things and it was just like, okay, we can't, we can't stay here forever. Like we're yeah. sharing a twin bed right now, like this in a, in, a t in your mom's tiny house. Like we just, <laughs> I think it's time for us to get back on with our lives, regardless of what's going on with the tour or the rest of the planet. And so we, found an apartment in New York on Zillow and we moved back to the city. Nice. Um, kind of when everyone else was leaving and um, but yeah, so we kind of, I think a lot of people at that time were starting to kind of question what they wanted to 
be doing with their lives, whether they actually wanted to be in the arts, whether they actually wanted to be in New York City. And a lot of people were kind of starting to move out and move away. And we were like, no, like, I live in New York City. Like, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. Like, we're going back. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So we moved back in. And yeah, we just spent a lot of time just kind of like decompressing. And like, it was really nice. And we were very fortunate and very privileged to have been working for a show like Dear Evan Hansen leading up to that pandemic because it put us in the very unique situation as artists and performers, musicians, where we had a steady income that fueled our unemployment benefits. So we were able to get the full unemployment benefits for a very long time, well over a year. We had, they're gone now, but it was, we had them and they, you know, they kept, they saved our lives. They kept us going completely throughout the entire pandemic. And we were very lucky with that. And because of that, with that time, with that ability to not have to work and to just kind of wait for things to come back, we were able to, again, like decompress and like get out of that grind of, hustle and it's like you know you get really into things and you're working a lot and you're disciplined and you're you know you're pushing 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 and you stop thinking about the fact that like you're not really relaxing at all or taking care of yourself at all and you're you know you stop thinking about your mental health and when you are doing eight shows a week you kind of like it kind of becomes like a loop where the days don't really matter and your nights all end exactly the same. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's just like, it's like what, what, shit. what even is life? It's right. just, you just kind of vanish, especially when you're, cause when you're on tour, you know, you're not at home. You can't go away and see other friends. You can't go out and do other things. You can't go see other shows. You're just kind of stuck there. Right. And so you just kind of get into this groove where you're just, you know, you're sleeping late and like, just hanging out and then going to the show. And yeah, it just becomes this weird pattern and it's just, it just gets really repetitive and the days just kind of blend into each other. And being able to step away from that and like not have to worry about being on all the time and like chasing after work and um, just all these things and like being able to just do music and art in a way that is fun and fulfilling and not in a way that needs to pay the bills right. was really refreshing and really cool. So we were in this place, we had this apartment, we had all this free time and we we're like, why don't we make uh, like a, an EP? Why don't we record? Why don't you write some songs like right now about what you're feeling and what's going on and we'll try and record them. And, you know, I'll, try and do that because i don't really have a ton of experience yes yeah, like i don't really have experience with recording all of, most of my experience was with doing sound live um which i think is a kind of a much easier situation but we just kind of took up the challenge like okay let's let's make some songs and like record them and like see what we can do and it was we were going to just do four songs and it ended up being eight um because we just kept she just kept coming up with these songs and we're just like, man, that's a really good song. Like we need to, 
let's do it. And so we like remotely recorded this album um, where we, you know, we were, everyone was kind of like getting their remote recording game up because of the pandemic. Cause that was, that's kind of the thing that every musician really had to do to try and make any kind of money. So we hit up the the drummer from Dear Evan Hansen and oh, um, two of the bassists. We had a bassist who started the tour and then another one who was with us when it finished. And we ended up using both of them for different songs. And like we just got a bunch of friends and people and had them record on these songs. And then I spent a lot of time like mixing them and trying to get them kind of produce them and help her arrange them, and bring them to life. And was that was that a new skill that you were learning, you know, to produce music and to mix music together? And yeah, it was I was very, very like, again, I had done it a little bit at school. Um, but at the at that point, that was, you know, six years earlier. And I really hadn't done it at all since except for the occasional like, oh, I need to record a YouTube video or something. And, you know, just recording only myself for little things here and there. Um, and so it was very, it was the whole thing. was an experiment. It was just kind of like, let's just do this and see if we can and also see if people like it. Yeah. <laughs> cause like, you know, cause she really wants to be, you know, a, a songwriter. She wants to be a performer. She wants to be known for her music. And it's like, okay, let's try and record some of your music and see if people actually want to hear it. Is this the music that's on your website? Yeah. There's, um, the recordings. Yeah, we have we've released three, I guess four singles, and then an album which we call "Just Keep Singing." Stuff. Good for you. I mean, yeah, I can I can see why you don't have a specific plan because it's just it's just gonna fall all into place like everything else <laughs> has been falling into place, and you just gotta keep working hard on yourself so that you can you know attract that kind of success through your hard work, and and that's what's happening. So. Yeah. <laughs> And what kind what kind of advice would you give to, you know, a young adolescent or even an adult or somebody who's late in their career? How can they get the inspiration mm. and drive that you have had all along? Oh man, watch a lot of movies. <laughs> I just you know, I, I really I think I've of um I've really de- developed this like romanticism with life just from watching stories and movies and theater and just like seeing other people's art brought to life. It's so wonderful and it just gives me such a zest for existing. But yeah, but um, uh, like I said, I've done a lot of Q and A's. I like to do a lot of Q and A's, especially when, um, when I was on tour, we would have these, these things called a talk back where after certain shows in certain places, um, anyone who wanted to in the cast or in the company really, but it was usually just cast members um, could come and speak to a portion of the audience that had signed up beforehand and just kind of answer whatever questions they may have. And again, like anyone is welcome, but like pretty much 99.5% of the time you would only see cast members there because those are the people that I think most people care about. And those are, they're the face of the show and, you know, they're the people that the company really wants to be there, but I always like to go just to be a voice of, you know, the other side of things and the music side of things. And 
you know, we would very often get that question of, you know, what advice would you give to a an up and coming artist, performer or whatever? And I, I kind of broke it down to three things that I would say for anyone, really, for, you know, whatever you're doing in life, whatever you're trying to be or accomplish, specifically for me, it's, you know, as a musician, but if you're a performer, a singer, an artist, you know, an accountant, I don't know, but like whatever you want to do, I think these three principles kind of work really well. And the first one is just the easiest one, which is just get good. Like just hone your craft in every way you can. Um, especially when you're younger, you know, go to school, get educated, learn from people, um, practice and just, yeah, just get as good as you can. And cause there's like, there's a certain bar I'd say for, you know, being a professional musician where everyone needs to just kind of hit this bar. And then once you get past that, there's just, it varies wildly in how skilled people are or at what specifically they're skilled at, but there's got to be like a base level. Like you got to at least be this, you know, this skilled to be able to be a professional in some way. Um, and, you know, to be a music for being a musician, that means, especially if you want to do like Broadway, you know, being able to read music or being really versatile. If you want to be a, working session type musician or a Broadway musician. The biggest thing is being able to play all kinds of different styles, being able to play uh, different instruments in your family and like your instrument family, like for guitars, guitar, banjo, mandolin, ukulele. Um, and then, you know, it extends, those are like the main ones and then it extends further into like, uh, like a lap steel guitar, or pedal steel, or, um, you know, you could be really good at like classical guitar or things like that, or, you know, even being able to play, you know, other instruments. There's plenty of, there's a ton of Broadway shows where like people are playing guitar and keyboards. Um, so like having as many of those skills as possible, being just like a really well-rounded and versatile musician. I think on Jersey Boys, um, one of the guitarists plays drums for one of the songs. So yeah, it's just, having these abilities just opens more doors for you. Um, you know, if you're a piano player, that means being able to play piano and keyboards because those are different. Um, being able to navigate all the electronic sounds and like patch changes and all those kinds of things. Those are huge on Broadway shows. Um, bass is like electric bass and upright bass. Or if you're a woodwind player, they're the crazy ones. You know, they have to play like saxophone <laughs> and flute and clarinet and oboe and just all those different things. And their cheeks and lips never hurt. Yeah, right? it's insane. <laughs> yeah. And they need to be able to do them all at the, basically the same level. And, you know, there are, there are people who like, you know, this person's really an oboe player, but they can also do other things. Are they really a flute player? But everything still has to be at like that base level where they could do it professionally. Um so yeah, just honing your craft and really getting good at whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, you know, if you want to be a stage manager, like being really good at being able to be direct with people and keep a schedule and keep things going, just whatever it is, you need to figure out how to be the best at that, that you can be. How do you connect 
and network in that world when you're just starting out, you're in college, you're, you know, a young adult, and you're trying to reach some of these people while networking, you know, Mm. reaching out to them and saying, Hey, I want to, you know, do an internship with you, or I want to, I want to come be in the pit and watch your, your pianist or your guitarist. How do you get broken into that world or introduced to that world when you're not part of that community? Now, yes, there's college. Yes. There's probably some networking that you can get from your alums at the school that you're going to, but how else would you do it? Yeah. That's a, that brings me to my, my second point, which is, um, networking. (laughs) You need to be really great at networking. Um, and yeah, I think it can be really, I think it will vary wildly depending on where you live and what the scene is where you are. I am personally, I am a huge, um, advocate for you need to kind of be where the action is. Um, Mm -hmm. if you want to be like a working musician, artist, whatever you kind of, if you want to have the best chance at success, you need to live in the places where it's most abundant. And right, you know, like for, you can't you can't live in Iowa and then expect yeah, to be on exactly. Broadway or part of a Netflix film. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be challenging if you live there. And you know, there are niches, like there are things out there. It's like tours come through and you need to you kind of need to figure out how to meet people. It's like if you live in a small town and a tour comes through, you can go see the show and just go up to the conductor, you know, or whoever. You just go up to someone and be like, hi, person, like, I am interested in this. Can you tell me how, like, what's your advice? How do I get into this? Like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? What can what can I do? And that helps people all the time. And you make connections like that. I mean, when I was, um, when I was at Berkeley, uh, the Book of Mormon came through the tour came through boston and i had met someone he was formerly the drummer on the tour he wasn't the drummer anymore but he was a drummer and he was a berkeley alumni and he i asked him like can i do you think you could like connect me with the guitarist of the tour and i could sit in pit and i did and i went and i sat in and um, that person is a person that I know now oh, in New York as a friend and like a colleague and like we've worked together. Um, and he even like, I think he like recommended me for some work when I moved to the city. And, you know, this is a person I met as a student in Boston. And then we were in New York together as, you know, colleagues. Um, and yeah, just being just, you just, I think it's really important wherever you are, you need to figure out who are these people. And, you know, if you need to go to a show and find them, like that's one way to do it. If you're in school, you know, you can ask your professors, um, you know, maybe other students will know. But I think the baseline is like, if you don't know where to go, go to a yeah. performance. Yeah. And you know, you'll see the people doing the things and then you can read, you can go up to them and tell them who you are and just, you know, be a nice, just be nice and tell them what your deal is. I don't think, I think in general, most people are pretty 
open to someone who's just who just wants to know about what they do i think people like talking about what they do and they like i think most people like helping out other people especially in this industry and these kinds of people i think a lot of musicians are really kind and they like they like being nice to people who just want some advice being kind just being a kind person on both sides of it you know when you're starting out and you're just reaching out to people and you know you're not just again you're not schmoozing you're not you're not after anyone to get a job you should never email anyone and say hey can i sub for you um especially if they're not a person you've ever met before like if, it's one thing if it's like your friend or something but if you're cold calling someone you're not like hey i'm a really great guitarist and i went to berkey like can i sub for you um because that's not what it's about like they're not like they're not looking right. for you and you shouldn't be so presumptuous you just they're an opportunity for you to learn something and an opportunity for you to meet someone and an opportunity for you to maybe make a friend um which is the most important thing because what like this whole industry is just all about collaboration and being having friends and like calling your friends and like just having a good time together and it's not just about you know playing music it's about making art and you need to you want to make art with people that make you feel good and i think it's really important to maintain that energy when you become you know a much higher up person in the totem pole who's like you know maybe you're a person now who doesn't need to look for work anymore and all the work just comes to you and you get really great jobs and like you said some people i think forget where they come from and you know some people don't even come from there like they started off a very privileged and they just had all the opportunities from day one and so maybe they never even knew what that was particularly like but i think it is really important to maintain that like humility of you're not better than anyone no matter where no matter how much you've achieved and there's nothing wrong with just helping someone out just answering someone's question you know maybe setting someone on the right path if they're on the wrong one if someone emails you and is like kind of asking for a gig or like not being as kind as they could be you know you could use that as an opportunity to be like hey man like i'm gonna like do you a favor right now and tell you that you don't want to message other people like this because it's not gonna go well for you um but like if you want to like get together and just chat or something that's cool too and you know it's is a learning opportunity and i think it's important to approach everything like you know i was there once i didn't always know all the things and you know you it's you start to think like things become you start to think that things are obvious that like certain ways of behaving or certain things that you do it becomes obvious and second nature to you and you forget that like someone had to tell you that at some point like you didn't just figure all of this out on your own like someone helped you and so like you can return the favor and help someone else